Hello and welcome to episode six of the TCA Crossroads, where entrepreneurs and investors meet. My name is Kostin Tukulescu. I am an entrepreneur and an angel investor with Techost Angels. And as always, I am joined by Mr. David Friedman, the chairman, the man himself. Uh, how you doing, David? Never had it so good. I mean, it's a great day. I'm looking forward to our guest because he will come up with really unique perspectives of somebody I've gotten to know over the last six, seven years. And, you know, it's kind of interesting because as I look at our guests and I look at his perspective and what we'll learn today, I keep thinking back to you as an entrepreneur when I first met you about 15 years ago, long time when you were a kid. And then, know. you know, and, and now as an angel investor joining our group, um, things have changed and we'll talk about some of those changes. So are you excited too? I, I am, and I can't wait to see who this guest is. So let me bring him on. Here he comes. Hello, Mr. Gerard Miller. How are you, sir? I'm good. Hey, Gerard. Good to see you today. Happy to be here. Good. Well, you have a unique background. So why don't you do, uh, this to start it off, just give a little bit about your background and, you know, why your perspectives are going to make a difference in people's lives. How's That's that? What I want to know. That's what I want to know. Yeah, we all do. It's inquiring minds. I don't know if I can make differences in lives, but I'll try to give you some some perspectives. What's relevant with me is uh, 25 years with institutional investing, mostly big money, uh, mutual funds, public pension funds, and the rest. Um, I was the president of two national mutual fund companies handling 30 billion and 170 billion, respectively. Uh, finished up my career as the chief investment officer for one of the top 100 public pension funds. So I, I managed a lot of big money. I'm a chartered financial analyst. In the course of my career, did some consulting work, which led me into becoming both a Sarbanes-Oxley financial expert uh, for, for those purposes and a federal court qualified uh, financial and investment expert. So when I wrapped up my career, I retired, uh, you know, seven, eight years ago. I, uh, I started looking around, trying to figure out what to do with the rest of my life because I'm not a trader. I don't manage my own money for short-term terms every now and then, but not much. And so um, I needed to have something else to do that would apply some of my skills and angel investing made sense to me as a place to, to try to put some of that to work. So, so when we listen to you, it's, I feel like I'm listening to Smith Barney when Gerard talks, everybody listens. Is that true? Uh, not really. Uh, there, <laughs> there's maybe four, five, four or five in the fan group, but, but on the other hand, I would say that um, when you go through a screening session, um, I'm often known as Darth Vader um, and people who are all ready to write checks out to somebody have second thoughts from time to time. <laughs> so you're that guy. You're that guy. I should I should show you my Darth Vader mask, but it's it's in yeah, the back. That's not a good way to start this. This is supposed to be a positive thing I, for the. I, I have a feeling oh, uh, you'll get there. You'll get there. Don't worry. That, right. Does everything start with some heavy breathing? Right. You got it. Oh boy! I have the so sound effects. I'm going to go back to getting us back on track here. Thank um, you. Let, let me, I read an article in the New York Times today and it talked about the death of startups. And I also talked to 
uh, shared information on the decline in venture capital and investment, you know, that we're seeing today. So we're looking at 2023 vis-a-vis like 2020 when money in 2020, 2021, when money was rampant. So let me start with what's your take on the whole investing climate, because it seems to be a good start and really relevant from today's perspective. Yeah, David, I, I, there's two ways to look at this. One is in the rearview mirror and the other is in through the windshield. Let me just start with the rearview mirror, which is we've come off of a period when, if you go back to the middle of the last decade, we had a global superabundance of capital. Money was flowing in um, and you had a, the first of the baby boom retirees all of a sudden wanted to become angel investors. There was a lot of money chasing deals. Um, and then, of course, we hit the pandemic, and that was the first warning sign that things may not work out as expected. Um, we had a lot of companies that uh, either couldn't get their medical devices and, and, and lab studies through because of COVID lockdowns, and people who were going to do B2B marketing couldn't go to conventions. Um, and basically, even though there was federal relief money to pay payroll for some of them, um, there was about a two-year hiatus in terms of the development of getting product to market or uh, product into market. Uh, so that impaired things. Then we had this little flippy bubble with IPOs and so forth in 2021, but that burst quickly after the SPAC collapse. And then, of course, this year we've had Silicon Valley collapse and the problems with VC funding. So the problem is looking back, those of us who've been angel investors for the last five, six, seven years, it's not looking real good on those portfolios. And uh, in the meantime, you know, many of us have a, a, a good handful of zeros and duds. In venture capital, there's a phrase called the J curve, which we institutional people need to remind people that you shouldn't be expecting to get your 20% IRR on your portfolio until you're out there five, six, seven years into it, if that, and you're yeah. probably going to have negative returns early. The same is true in angel investing, but I'm going to come to that um, in terms of expectations and what we do in the future. Going forward, I would say that we're probably setting up for a new set of opportunities that will be more promising but we are not there yet. And I'm going to talk a little bit about valuations and what we see on deal flow coming in. Um, but I, I can make a pretty good case that the, the marketplace conditions for exits, let's say three to seven years out, it has to look better than it is right now. Um, and in fact, the history of business and market cycles is that in fact, that'll happen. So I would say there's probably a happy analog to all of this, but uh, we, you have to set yourself up first, and we're we're not there. So, yet. So, so let me ask you something. That's it. you raise an interesting thing. The environment has slowed down, but a lot of the angel investments don't come to maturity and don't come true. I mean, the, the, the the duds come out thankfully fast. The ones that succeed come a little painfully slow. But wouldn't this be the better time to invest because it's at the low point of what they call the quote hog cycle, and you'll eventually see an uptick in the economy and therefore valuations on the exit will be high or am I deluding myself? No, you're, you're not deluding yourself except that you're deluding yourself if you think you can do that by random lot investment selection. Nope, not and at so, all. I'm, 
Not at all. What I'm saying is that properly diligenced deals that have been very carefully priced and vetted can in fact produce better returns than what we will have for the vintage dated 2016 through 2021. And the problem is going to be, how do we meet those requirements? But I so will say that the- with that. Pardon? Yeah. So, so follow on with that. How does, to take it from two perspectives, what does an angel need to look at? And hopefully it's not fear of missing out today. Or what does a, a startup need to do to make sure that they don't wind up getting scared of the economic environment? Yeah, well, let me start with the the, uh, the entrepreneur first, because if they get it right, then it's going to be easier for the angels. And if they don't get it right, then we don't want anything to do with them. So does that get your attention? So yep. first of all, uh, the deal terms going forward are going to have to be attractive enough to reward angel investors for their illiquidity and risks of loss. They have okay. to produce, they have to produce an, an equity risk premium that is superior not only to common stocks, but also to venture capital, which the institutional people get through the VC funds that we can't get into because we are individually not big enough. And those people are shooting for 15% with reliability after fees. And, uh, and, and so the question is, how does a CEO of a startup set that up. And uh, you can either price equity at a fair value or you can do, you know, the convertible note or the safe note with terms that are reasonable. The first piece of advice I have to any uh, CEO who's expecting to issue safe notes or convertible notes is that what you got away with in the last four years, we're not going to take. We're in a world of 5% risk-free returns on treasury bills. How on earth can you justify anything less than an 8% rate on a convertible note? And I would argue that 12 is probably more fair along with a 20% discount. So if you're not going to offer those terms, I don't even want to hear from you. Um, so, so that's a start. I'm going gonna, gonna to punctuate that just to make sure the entrepreneurs heard it loud and clear. 8 to 12% interest on the note with a 20% discount. And the next question is like, what are the caps that you would think are reasonable at this stage, you know, for a seed stage yeah. company, you know, early revenue, they got some product, but they got work to do. Yeah. And, and again, it's going to vary uh, case by case, but first of all, um, I, I think the, the angels are getting smarter about pre-money versus post-money valuations yeah. and and certainly on safe notes we really want to see post money numbers now when i started doing this in 2017 i saw a lot of deals that had single digit million dollar valuations and as we got into 2021 20, 22 everybody was coming in with 10 12 15 million dollars not everybody but a lot yeah, and and true. on deals that were still a lick and a prayer and and so it, it's going to depend but Another way of, of looking at it is you're going to have to show me a high probability, not just a hope for exit, but a high probability exit that's going to give me a 10x. I started doing deals in 2017, 2018, deluding myself into thinking that I could produce 
nice internal rates of return on some deals selectively that would be three bangers. And I disregarded all of John Harbison's and other people's historical research that said, you know what? It's the 10 bagger winners that ultimately pay this off. And I've learned the hard way that if I'm going to set my sights on a 3x return, I'm never going to get to 20 on my overall portfolio, uh, 20% IRR. So, so how do you show my problem? Let me finish that, David, and then the question. Okay. Working that backwards, what I'm looking for almost always now is I got to see an exit at 100 million or above. And if you're just hoping to get an exit out at 20 or 30 million, I at least am not interested. There may be others, but mm -hmm. the math just doesn't really work out that way. Correct. And so if you're in that, if you're in that lower range, if you think you're going to get a, an acquisition at 50 million, I won't say that's impossible, but it doesn't make any sense for me to have a post money at, at anything higher than five. Mm -hmm. So hopefully it mm -hmm. gives you some context of entry point versus exit point and what the multiple has to be in order for the portfolio to produce a 20% net of costs internal rate of return. Because if we're going to get less than that, I don't need to be in this space whatsoever, other than for socialization and, and amusement. Well, you and just again, like, oh. just, just to underscore the headline, you want a 10x. So uh, if the entrepreneur is asking for a 5 million post, you want to see a plan that shows a $50 million exit at a bare minimum. Okay. Yep. Well, it doesn't work like that in reality. This is the problem. That's assuming there's no stock option grants, no warrants outstanding, and no sure. additional yeah. funding. So when you go back to what, what Gerard is saying, you know, if everything is perfect, ceteris paribus, you gotta you that's the minimum. But the reality is the next round will give you another 20%, 30% dilution, next round 20, 30%, stock right. options 15%. So that 50 million now has to be well over 100 and therefore you get that number. Which is the reason for my number. But that gets right. me to the second point. Which now well, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. I, I want to simplify because what we did there is you just discounted at another 50%. Correct. So I, I, Gerard, I feel like your 10x was already discounted, so you can kind of get your three to five x, which is what you're looking for. So you, I think initially you were thinking three to five x is okay. Then you're thinking, well, I better pad that and get myself to an easy math of 10x. And I think entrepreneurs like easy math. So if you're going in with a five post, you better show a 50 exit. If you want a 10, you better show a hundred. Is that making it simple enough for the? That, that's a simple math, and that's. But David's point is right that if you're going to have dilution along the way, then the the multiple has to be higher. Which gets me to the next point, which is, I need to see the game plan for future funding rounds, which we have taken for granted too often. When I came right. into all of this, the pitch session would say, "And we're going to do a Series A in 2014 first quarter." And there would be like, and that's magically going to give me the next round of my money. And of course, what's happening right now is that there are no tooth fairies giving out that money. The tooth fairy went away. Yeah. And so the problem now is that you can leave your tooth under the pillow, but you don't get funding. And so the question I want to hear in my diligence is what are you going to do to lock up that money? And what have you done already to put us on that path?
So in final diligence, I want to see what's the game plan for the next round. And people will say, oh, we're talking to this and we're talking to that. We're talking to that. It's like, oh, talk is cheap. I want to actually talk to the VCs that you've seen. And I want to know what are the milestones that you, the CEO, expect to and must deliver in order to get that Series A money. And if you don't have credibility on that point, I'm not touching the deal. And I think it's what we angels have to particularly focus on in the next year or two that we frankly have not. So let me ask you so a question. It's about go-to-market strategy, but go-to-market has two dimensions. It has the end customer of the product. It also has the end, end customer of the investment side. And we have to focus on both branches. Right. And, and I just want to clarify, the CEO, right? You mentioned the yeah. CEO. One second, David. David, one, one, one point of clarification on that, because I think this is helpful, because this is going to be very helpful for whoever's watching this. You want to hear the funding plan, even if the funds raised for the seed round right now, let's say it, it, it keeps gives the company a runway of 18 months, 24 months. You want to see the plan for how those next 24 months will lay out such that when it's month 22, they've got a 90% chance of closing the next round. That's what you want to see. Yeah, that, and that's exactly, the, I, I'm in three deals right now where we're doing rescue capital because everything looked rosy. They got up against the 18 month and now we're scrambling around with the CEO trying to figure out how do you keep this thing in survival mode? Yeah. And that's the problem yeah. that the current position has forced us all to think about. And again, you can't predict the future too much, but you don't have it. Now, if, if you can tell me, that you're going to get through phase 2B of your trials and that that alone will give you a merger acquisition buyout and that's the exit plan at that point. Then the important thing is then show me the process to get through that phase 2B. Yeah. I don't then worry as much about the other because I'll assume that the doctors that are on the diligence team are going to tell me whether that's a realistic gamble to take. But if it's an operating business that's going to have to do go to market, is going to have to demonstrate sales, get traction, and then find an investor so that they don't collapse because of a cash shortage, then we have to we have to do all of the homework on that. Yeah. I want to go back to something that you raised before. You talked about the CEO. You mentioned the word CEO several times. So how important is the CEO in this whole you know, evaluation from your perspective? Is is it just a good CEO? Is it a great team? How do you evaluate the business and that CEO relative to the trustworthiness maybe of executing a plan or the team to execute vis-a-vis -vis any other criteria that you use to evaluate a business? My three zeros that are irretrievably lost in each case was initially attributable to the CEO. Wow. One of them, one of them was flashy in the whole world of virtual augmented reality, nothing behind it. I was a sucker. I was early. I hadn't, you know, done the homework. I tried to do some diligence, but just, you know, bought in on, on a story. Another one was, was basically an outright liar. And even though another angel group had done due diligence on it, they didn't do complete analysis. Yeah. In fact, that the guy had gone bankrupt before. Um, and, and the third one was a CEO 
who couldn't focus on anything. He had 24 employees after he got his first round of funding and he would walk in and his screen presentations were all gobbledygook. So I can tell you that CEOs, CEOs universally can kill a company if they're weak. So we, we need to do that. Tech Coast Angels Orange County has spent more time. There are some tools that we're starting to use. I think yep. we're much better at it than just the seat of the pants punch work that people were doing. And, you know, we've got some members who say, you know, I'm like Karnak. I can, I can have a meeting with the CEO and I am so skilled at human judgment that I can get that. Um, I can uh -huh. tell you that one of our illustrious members had a whole metric deal to go through management evaluation. The rest, I've lost money on some of his deals. So this is not a science, but it's got to take real homework and far greater uh, inspection than what we have typically done on many deals. So it's, it's vitally important. So let's take a look at this another characteristic from your perspective. What else uh, sort of there's no I know there's no guarantee for success. I mean, we've clearly indicated yeah. that. But what is another criteria that you look at when you look at a business and how and is that change that criteria changed over the last three years with the environment being so squirrely, so to speak? Yeah, well, first of all, I mentioned it before, but certainly the cash flow projections we're looking at much more closely than we did three years ago. No question about it. You know, we'd sort of, they'd say, well, I got 18 months of runway and maybe two or three people would look at the financial model, say they're good enough, you know, move on. Um, but so I clearly, there's gotta be somebody on the diligence team who's gonna run those numbers out and, and challenge them uh, in terms of the assumptions, the requirements and so forth. The second one, which we're still as a, as a community not as far along as we as we should be is the go to market strategy for anything you know again you can separate med tech where yeah. nine out of ten of them if not more than that are going to be an acquisition and they're never going to sell to the end customer themselves uh, they're you know they're just going to hope that some strategic picks them up and the rest but for everybody else if if there is an ultimate need even if it's just demonstration we have you know half the med tech deals actually do have to show that there's going to be some uh, you know, some traction with either the doctors or the hospitals or whatever before they can hope to be acquired. But we have to look harder at the go-to-market strategies. Who's going to run that show? Is the team there? Do they know what they're doing? All of that needs a, a closer look than we've typically given it in the past. So those right. would be a couple things to focus on. There are other, other criteria. The Tech Coast Angels Orange County's got this so-called spider web of uh, criteria for the deal teams to look at. And uh, there's some other people now trying to come up with some, some ways. I think that, I hate to say it, but there's gonna come a day when artificial intelligence is gonna be helpful in this area where we ought to be able to have people complete a standardized due diligence questionnaire and it will crank out some of the things that say, you know, you guys need to look at this and you need to look at that, but right now, it's just going to be like a sophomore business student regurgitating what their professor told them to say. So I, we're not there. It, it, yet, almost, it, it almost sounds like if we could just plug in a credit score system as part of the application, yeah. you just need to look at the credit score half the time. Um, cool. So but I will say that Tech Coast, the, the TCA Orange County people, we've got some members who are actually working on this problem. And I think we're only a year away from having a fairly viable tool 
that will be time tested with a, a good deal of empirical data. We're not that far away. And it's not, I'm not in it. I have no vested interest, but I'm going to tell you that AI is in your future and it's going to be a much needed tool because if we do nothing in the next year, but reduce the failure rate of zeros and duds to less than 50%, which has been what we as angels have been tolerating for far too long, we will improve our internal rate of return to a level that actually justifies putting money into this for something other than social socialization and yeah. having people to go to coffee with. So, so it's interesting that you mention it. And I think we've gotten a little bit better in the last report that John Harbison, who's our guru on data, produced. We had 13 positive exits in, in the last year. We had 10 duds and failures. So if we can continue that at least you know, we're in better shape, although, you know, you know, we, we still are trying to get to, I'd love to see 75, 25 right now. I think we're at 40, 60, 60% failures. Costin, you want to? Yeah. Well, I, and again, there's different, there's, different yeah, there's different categories, David. I, we had this investment task force at Orange County and, you know, there's the zeros, there's the duds, and then there's the triplers and then there's the, the 10x, yep, yep. and we need to sort of work that spectrum. The more we can get rid of the zeros, you're never going to eliminate all of them. There's going to be shutdowns, but screening that group down is, is going to be extremely helpful. But again, failure to get next round capital, it, it, again, it's the classical excuse, right? Yep. It may be the company was doomed all along, and you just won't admit it until you run out of money. You know, and those are the ones we have to really, I mean, if, if, if we're to blame for anything, it's for letting those into our portfolios. Those seem to be unforced errors to me as an angel. Because yeah, we, ought to be able to see, we ought to be able to see through those outcomes. Hence, bringing it back to your initial point, a part of the core due diligence we need to analyze the plan for the future rounds and, and how robust yeah. those plans are. All right, so we're bringing this ship into uh, the docking station. I don't know, I've got a weird metaphor there. Uh, Gerard, I, I like to leave something behind here. You're, you're obviously a very experienced angel investor. Um, if somebody wanted to connect with you, do you take coffee meetings? Do you, you know, respond to LinkedIn requests? If an entrepreneur wanted to learn from you or something like that, can, can they reach out to you, anything like that? First of all, anybody who sees this, I'm on LinkedIn. I generally decline 80% of the invites because I get them from, you know, they yeah, come in from any, any, any entrepreneur now wants Gerard Miller, you know, to be in the network. I don't want those. I, I reject a lot of them. But if you tell me in a LinkedIn request that I saw you on uh, this event, you know, you can, you can count on me replying to you. I will do Zoom meetings. I don't do in person. I'm not yeah. interested in coffee clutch, but I'm always happy to help a, a kindred spirit um, and yeah. share what little bit I've learned along the way. All right. There, so there's uh, one thing. Hold on, Costin. There's one thing. You just wrote up, didn't you co-author a book or some uh, seriograph on governance and organization? Or am I mistaken on that? No, it, it's 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 Dave Burkus's book, the legendary oh, okay. guru Dave Burkus. It's his book, and Marianne Brilla from San Diego and I helped along. We were sort of contributing co-authors. We each wrote five or seven additional vignettes that sort of updated that in order Good. to provide more information that would be useful to a entry-level 
angel or to a CEO for that matter about how to set up a startup company, what to look for, uh, what you should be thinking about if it's going to go IPO, the mistakes and dangers of IPOs, stuff like that. We, we filled, filled out the, uh, the book. So that that's out there, but it's, it's part of the Berkus bookstore. It's called building better boards. I did. I, I was trying to give you an opportunity, a softball for a shameless shill. That was, that was my intent. I'm just shilling for David. I'm, I'm um, I'll take, I'll take that one, David, because uh, we did have Dave Burkus on episode one of the crossroads podcast. So make sure uh, you viewers out there, check out Dave on episode one. Well, Gerard, thank you so much for your insights. Uh, lukewarm on the reaching out. So, folks, if you do reach out, make sure you've got a, a good reason and make sure you mention the Crossroads podcast to Gerard so that he does get back to you. Um, I, thank you I so will much. promise you an answer if you reference Crossroads. Love that. Look, we're already creating value there for our, for our viewers and listeners. Um, Gerard, tremendous insights. Thank you so much for uh, all of your feedback. Um, hopefully our, our viewers got a lot from that and they can apply it to either the businesses that they're building as they approach angel groups, or if they are angel investors, I think there's just a whole lot of wealth in there. Uh, thank you, the viewer, the listener. Thanks for joining us. David Friedman. Thanks again for being on the crossroads and, uh, you guys stay tuned for more episodes. We'll see you soon. Take care. Bye. Ciao.